You've just helped me to be able to uh, say exactly what you want me to say, help minister to the people tonight, Lord, and help everybody to uh, leave here with something from the sermon, Lord, that your spirit would would, uh, meet with us, and that, that, Lord, I don't know exactly what everybody needs to hear tonight, but I pray that uh, you'd help me to get out of the way, and that you'd use your spirit in your precious name, I pray, amen. Okay, well we're there in Genesis chapter number 25, and uh, you know, I'll tell you what, I really don't want to preach long tonight, Um, I kind of preached a little longer this morning than I like to, and uh, you know, it had to do with the subject, this morning we preached on one of my favorite subjects to study out in the Bible, about prophecy and the end times and the rapture, and, um, but you can't preach a sermon like that in in 30 minutes, you know, 45 minutes, Uh, so I took a little longer than usual, so I want to not spend too much time uh, tonight, but I do want you to get uh, a, a point from the text tonight. If you look at verse 1, you know, just by way of introduction, the Bible says, Then Abraham took a wife. If you remember last week, uh, or a couple weeks ago, maybe it was, Sarah died. And uh, last week we saw there how Isaac, uh, Rebecca was brought to Isaac to be his wife. But the Bible says that Abraham took a wife. This is after the death of Sarah. So he's a widow. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's a widower, I guess. And um, his wife died. And he took her to wife uh, there. And her name was Keturah. And she bare him. Uh, you see there she had six different sons uh, with uh, Keturah. It says Zimran, number one. And Jokshan, number two. And Midian, number three. And Midian, number four. And Ishbak number 5 and uh, Shua number 6 and it goes through there and talks about their descendants and all that. You look at verse number 4, just skip down to verse uh, last part of verse 4. It says, and these were the children of Keturah. So she had children there and grandchildren and stuff like that. Verse 5 it says, and Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac and unto the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life which he lived and hundred threescore and 15 years. That's 175 years that he lived. And the Bible says in verse 8, And Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the sons of Zohar, the Hittite, which is before Mamre. The field which Abraham purchased of the sons of Heth, there was Abraham buried, and Sarah his wife. So we're kind of finishing up, you know, uh, we've kind of been preaching about Abraham for a, for a while now, in the book of Genesis, and we're, we're transitioning from uh, preaching, about Abraham, and we're not going to be going into Isaac and his descendants there, and uh, so you need to understand that really, but if you look at verse number 11, Genesis 25, 11, the Bible says, and it came to pass after the death of Abraham, that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt by the well, Lahira. So the Bible says that God blessed Isaac. Now God did bless Isaac, and you know, we'll find out later that God blessed him financially, and Isaac was a good businessman, he was making money there, just like his dad Abraham, I'm sure he's a hard worker. But I'd like you to see that even with the blessing of God on Isaac's life, he still had some struggles. He still had some things that he had to deal with. And if you look at verse number 19, Genesis 25, 19, just skip down to verse 19. The Bible says, and these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Paranaram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. 
And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. So the Bible says that Isaac entreated the Lord. So Isaac is praying to God for his wife because she was barren. She couldn't have children. And the Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah his wife conceived. And it goes there in verse 22 and it says, And the children struggled together with her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy vows. And the people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And we're going to be talking a lot about Esau and Jacob in the next few weeks. And it says that after that, in verse 26, uh, and after that came his brother out, and his hand took on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was three, four years old when she bare them, and the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in the tents. Now, if you just read that, you know, just flippantly, or just kind of quickly read through it, you might miss a few things. The Bible says that, uh, uh, that Rebekah was barren, and Isaac was praying that God would give them a son, uh, give them a child. And then the very next verse, uh, Genesis 25-21, the Bible says, And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. And it seems like, oh, no big deal. They get married, they, he prays, uh, you know, he says, God, give us a child. And then the very next verse, she conceives. And it sounds like, oh, no big deal, no problem. But if you really look at the passage, and this is, you know, this is what I strive to do when I study for sermons. I try to read, you know, the, the text a lot. Try to just dissect every word and try to find things in there. You might just read over. And if you look at verse number 20, in Genesis 25, 20, the Bible says, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife. Do you notice that? He was a 40-year-old man when he got saved. But if you look down at verse number 26, in the same chapter. It says, And after that his brother came out and his hands took hold of Esau's heel and his name was called Jacob. And look what it says. And Isaac was three score years old when she bare them. Now the, the number score, you know, three score, a score is like 20 years. You remember Abraham Lincoln made that uh, uh, famous speech, you know, uh, four score and seven years ago. He's talking about 87 years. Four score is four times twenty is eighty. Well, the Bible says that Isaac was three score years old when she bare them. So Isaac was a sixty-year-old man when he had Esau and Jacob, but he was forty years old when he was married. You know, it's easy to just read it and say, "Oh, he prayed for God to help, you know, help his wife conceive," and then it looks like it just happened the same. The next verse, she conceived. But if you look at it, that was twenty years. Yeah, that was a long time. I mean, he was he gets married, and of course he wants a family, and they start trying to have children. And after maybe a while, maybe a year goes by, two years go by, and they realize we're not having kids. And he begins to pray to God. And you know, most of us will pray for a few months, or maybe a year, or two years. But could you imagine, he's praying for a year. He's praying for two years. He's praying for three years. He's praying for five years. He's praying for ten years. He's praying for fifteen years. And it's not until twenty years later. I mean, could you imagine that? Twenty years later, God, the Bible says the Lord was entreated. Isn't that kind of funny? The Lord was entreated of, of uh, Isaac, and she conceived. But he's sixty years old. Twenty years go by. Have you ever noticed this in the Bible? Maybe you haven't, but you should notice it as you read your Bible. No one in the Bible who ever prays for a child, there's no account in the Bible of anybody praying for a child and not getting one. Every single person in the Bible that was barren and was coming to God and praying for a child, God gave them one. But sometimes it takes 20 years. You know, in our modern day Christianity, someone would pray for three months and then they go and get some
some treatment done. They go and get some IVF thing done, you know. And, and uh, I don't have time to preach it. That would be a whole entire sermon. But, you know, a lot of the reasons why I'm against a lot of these procedures is because they end up killing a lot of babies in the process. Uh, and I can explain that to you later if you're interested in that. But, um... You know, they didn't run out and get some procedure done. They didn't go down to the local doctor. They didn't go get some drugs. They just said, God, give us a child. And he prayed for 20 years and he got his children. Isn't that amazing? The Bible says that 20 years later, he had a child. He was 60 years old. Isaac prayed for 20 years to have a child. Could you imagine praying for 20 years for anything? I mean, praying 20 years for anything. I mean, anything that your heart's burdened about. So often we'll pray and then we'll just forget about it. And, uh, you know, look at this. Look at verse number 28. And Isaac loved Esau, because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, this isn't part of the sermon, just kind of on a side note, but I want you to see this. You know, the Bible says that Isaac loved Esau. Is that a, that's not really a healthy thing for a father to love one son more than the other. But it also says Isaac loved Esau, because he did eat of the venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So they, they were playing favorites. Rebecca loved Jacob. Isaac loved Esau. You know, that's not a good thing, but the thing is that, a, that Isaac learned that from somebody. If you look back at verse number 6, and like I said, this isn't part of the sermon, but just kind of a side note, something to give you to think about. If you look in Genesis 25, 6, the Bible says about Abraham, but unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. Now hold on a second, Abraham. Aren't the, son, aren't the sons you had from the concubines, aren't they just as much as your son as Isaac was? But notice, he gives them gifts and he sends them away. He says, get away, you know, get away from here. You know, and, and Abraham himself didn't really take care of his children. He just, you know, really had Isaac as his favorite, and then Isaac goes and continues that, and then he chooses a favorite. You know, so we got to be careful. The things we do with our children, we might be teaching them things, and that's why so often in the Bible you'll find the children doing the exact same sin that their fathers did. Why? Because they learn it. They see it. They see the way we act, and then they're going to uh, outplay that. So like I said, not part of the sermon, but um, something to think about. But what I want you to understand is this. Isaac prays for 20 years to have two children. Isaac prays for 20 years. He, doesn't, he can't have kids. He has two children. But go back up to verse number 12 in Genesis 25. Because in the meantime, look at what Ishmael is doing. Genesis 25, 12. Now these are the generations of Ishmael. Now I don't know if you understand this, but Ishmael's descendants are what we know as, uh, you know... Pretty much everyone else in the Middle East other than the Jews. You know, they're, they're these Islamic people. And um, the Bible says, Now these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's handmaid, bare unto, unto Abraham. And you should remember that maybe from a couple, you know, we preached that through that. Uh, Abraham was in adultery with uh, his handmaid, Sarah's handmaid, and had a son named Ishmael. And look at verse number 13. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael. By their names, according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nabajah, and Kadar, and Adbeel, and Mipsam, and Mishma, and Duma, and Mesa, and Hadar, and Tima, and Jator, and Naphish, and Kadima. And these are the sons of Ishmael. And these are their names. Look at what it says. By their towns, and by their castles. Twelve princes according to their nations. Isn't that a, you know, really think about this. Abraham has these two sons, and obviously he had more sons, but his two older sons, eldest sons, the two main people, Isaac and Ishmael. 
Isaac is the son of the promise. Isaac is the son that God promised Abraham that he would have a nation. He would have descendants. They would number the sand of the sea. They would number the stars in heaven. They're going to be a great nation. They're going to, you know, through them all the world is going to be blessed. And Ishmael for 20 years has to pray to God to have two children. While at the same time, Ishmael, who represents the son of the bondwoman, who represents a sinful, you know, a sin, who represents something bad, who represents wickedness, Ishmael has 12 sons. And he doesn't just have 12 sons. You look down at verse 16. It says, these are the sons of Ishmael. These are their names. Look what it says. By their towns. They've got towns. By their castles. They have castles. 12 princes according to their nations. They've got 12 nations. I mean, his sons are being successful. I mean, the descendants of Ishmael are growing. I mean, the descendants of Ishmael are are just succeeding. And Isaac could have compared himself to Ishmael and maybe got discouraged. You know, because Isaac was the child of promise. He was the one that all the descendants were supposed to come from. He was the one that, that, I mean, the Bible says that God blessed Isaac. He was the one that had the power of God in his life. He was the one that Jesus Christ himself was supposed to come from. But I'm sure Isaac could have, after 10 years of praying and seeing no result, after 15 years of praying and seeing no result, after 18 years of praying and seeing no result, he maybe could have looked over at Ishmael and thought to himself, God, what is the problem? Why is it that Ishmael has 12 sons? Why is it that Ishmael has towns and villages and nations and castles and they're princes and they're succeeding and they're doing great? And the thing is, you know, and we can learn a few things from this. You know, let me say this, by the way. Bad things always grow faster than good things. Have you ever noticed that? You know, I used this example a while ago, but think, you know, think about it. These weeds out here, they'll grow fast, you know. But I want a nice big tree to, uh, you know, apple tree to grow out and produce some apples. It's going to take a long time. You know? Think about just in business. You, you, uh, you want to go, you know, start a good business and you want to be uh, a hard worker and be honest and do right. It's going to take some time to establish that thing and get that thing going and really see an income. You know, but you just want to go and sell drugs. Make a quick buck. Go rob. Make a, you know, good thing, you know, bad things always grow. You always got to be cautious when something just takes off. Because that's not, that's not how God designed things. Anything that's worth doing is going to ha- take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of time. You know, that's why it takes time to raise children. 20 years. 30 years, maybe. <laughs> Some people, you know. Whatever. It takes time to do, you know what I'm saying? Things that grow fast. You know, we could have started this church... And I could have gone out and, and rented some building somewhere. And I could have got some Christian rock band and put them up on the platform. I could have, you know, and, and got some, you know, uh, girls with miniskirts and had them gyrate on the stage. And maybe got up and preached a real quick 20-minute sermonette, not say anything offended. And we could probably have a big crowd, you know. But if you want to build something right, if you want to build something based on the Bible, based on doctrine, based on soul winning, based on, you know, it's going to take some time. Because is it a coincidence that... He had 12 sons. Israel had 12 sons. Because if you remember, Jacob had 12 sons. And Jacob's 12 sons eventually became 12 tribes. 12 almost nations that performed the name the nation of Israel. But it seems like Ishmael does it over time. Isaac has to wait. Bad things always grow real fast. Good things are worth waiting for though. But you know, Isaac... This is the point. This is what I'm trying to get across. Isaac could have looked at Ishmael and got discouraged. Here's the title of the sermon tonight. Don't envy the prosperity of the wicked. Don't envy the prosperity of the wicked. Go with me to Psalm 73. Psalm 73, if you open your Bible, right smack down in the middle of the Bible, and you look at Psalm 73. 
the book of Psalms. If you pretty much just grab your Bible and just open up in the middle, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms and go to Psalm 73. Let me give you an example of someone getting discouraged for looking at the wicked. Look at Psalm 73. I'd like you to see this. Psalm 23. The Bible says a psalm of Asa. Now, most of the psalms in the book of Psalms are written by David. But some of the psalms aren't written by David. And there's quite a few psalms that are written by this man named Asaph. Asaph was a good man. If you read the psalms written by Asaph, he was a good man. Obviously, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he wrote these great uh, passages in the Scriptures. Asaph was a musician in the temple. He was a Levite. He was a good man. But Asaph gives us a little bit of his testimony here in Psalm 73. And look at what it says. A psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. So he starts off telling you, look, God is a good God to Israel. But in verse 2 he says, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. He's saying, look, I, I, almost, I almost fell apart. I almost slipped. And look at verse 3. Look at the reason. He says, For I was envious at the foolish. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. Let, I want you to really understand what he's saying. He says, I was envious at the foolish. He said, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He says, there's no bands in their death. What was he saying by that? He's saying, you know, I was looking at those wicked people. I was looking at those heathen. And you know, they die, you know, of old age. They die nice. And, and he says, there are no bands in their death. They're not taken captive, is what he's saying. They're not taken captive and put to death. He says, their strength is firm. He says, it seems like they're always strong. It seems like they're always just, you know, doing something good. Look at verse 5. He says, they are not in trouble as other men. You know, sometimes you go through things. You go through trials. You go through troubles. And he says, those people, they're not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. He says, nothing bad ever happens to them. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. He says, because it seems like everything always goes right for them. It seems like they just always have the things they want. He says, they get really pride-filled. Look at verse 7. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than hearts could wish. You see that? Asaph is looking at these wicked people. He says, man... I'm struggling to make it. I gotta budget every penny I got. I, you know, I go hungry sometimes. Sometimes I can buy the things I want. I can do the things I want. And they have more than they could wish. They have more than they can spend. They, they can just live, do whatever they want. They can just say whatever they want. And they, it seems like they're always just succeeding. Look at verse uh, 6. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 8. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They seek loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongues walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? You see, this is what they're saying. God doesn't know. Is there even knowledge in the Most High? Does God even have any knowledge? Does God even know what's... You know, this is what they're saying. Because they're filled with pride. Look at verse 12. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. You know, and Asaph is talking here and he's saying he's envying a wicked person. You know, you don't have to turn to these passages, but let me read a few passages for you. The Bible talks quite a bit about being envious of bad people. 
Psalm 73.1. You don't have to turn there. Let me just read these for you. But listen to what it says. Psalm 73.1 says, A Psalm of David. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Proverbs 3.31 says, Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. Proverbs 23.17 says, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Proverbs 24.1 says, Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. Proverbs 24.19 says, Fret not thyself because of all men, neither be thou envious at the wicked. Asaph, he's, he's pouring his heart out here. And he's saying, I almost slipped. He's saying, I almost, I almost got backslid. He said, I, I almost got out of the fight. He said, I almost didn't continue on. And he says, here's why. I started looking at the Ishmael who's succeeding. I started looking at the wicked person who seems like they're just making it. They seem like they're just having children. And they're just having success. They're just having castles and nations and buildings. And I was looking at my own life and thinking, they're never in trouble. They always have strength. They always have money. They them. Look at verse 13. Here, here's where you get in trouble. Psalm 73, 13. Asaph says, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in this innocency. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. You know what he's saying? He's saying, man, I feel like I chose the wrong side. He says, I, here, I'm trying to live a holy life. I'm trying to live a Christian life. I'm trying to do right. I'm, try, I'm trying to walk with God. He said, I cleanse my heart in vain. He said, I'm trying to live for God. And it's just, it's vain. I, I chose the wrong side. I'm trying to live for God. And he says, it's not worth it. Here's why. Verse 14. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. He's saying, they're succeeding. They're doing good. They're never in bonds. They're never broke. They never have issues. And he says, all day long I'm plagued. All day long I'm chasing. All day I wake up every morning and my situation never gets better. I'm always in debt. I'm always in trouble. I always have sickness. He says, why am I doing this? But look at verse 15. If I say I will speak thus, look what he said. Behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to this, he said, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. You know what he's saying? He said, I started, he said, I started looking around, I started looking at my children. He said, I, 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 went, I started seeing those kids, you know, going to church there. And I, and I started watching the, the and I'm thinking about the next generation. And he said, when I saw these things, he said, if I speak thus, because notice, Asaph, he's saying this is the turmoil that's going in his heart. This is what he was saying in his heart. He was getting ready to quit. And he said, if I say, I will speak thus. He said, if I start to say these things, if I give up on God, if I quit, he said, I should offend against the next generation of thy children. He said, because these kids are watching me. These children, they're watching my life. And if they see dad, if they see mom, if they see the pastor, if they see the, the, the church person, if they see the guy in church who he's there all the time, he's faithful. And one week he's gone. One week he's out in the world. The next week he's partying. The next week he gives up. He said, I'm going to offend them. And look what he says in verse 17. He said, here's how I fix the problem. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. He said, I got back to church. He said, see, I, I spent time watching the world and I started to get envious. I spent time watching the world and thinking to myself, why is it that they can do whatever they want? Why is it that they always have success? Why is it that they have no problem? But he said, when I got into 
when I went to the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. He said, I got back to church and I understood what they... He said, I understood their end. He says, Surely thou didst set them in the slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? Look what he says. As in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou hast despised their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was uh, pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with the counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. You know what he was saying? This is what he was saying. Because you can watch the world and watch their success and watch their riches and watch them never fail. Watch them always do right. But here's the thing. You know, I heard this statement. I thought it was a good statement. I'd rather have the worst day as a Christian than the best day as an unsaved person. You know why? Because at the end of the whole matter, when you die, an unsaved person could be successful. They could have riches. They could do great. And they're still going to die and go to hell. And their desolation will come in a moment. When you die. But you could have the worst day as a Christian and still die and go to heaven. Still die and spend eternity with God. You can never make it financially. You could always be struggling. You could always be down and out. You could always be a plague or whatever. But it's still better than being an unsaved person that's successful but not doing anything. Look what he says in verse 25. He said, Whom, I have, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you know, I just decided. He said, and it's funny. He says, I got back to church and then I realized, you know who I want more than anybody? You know who I want a relationship more than anybody? You know what he's saying? He said, there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. You know, and, and, and don't miss this. You know, people wonder this, I, and I've watched this, my wife and I talk about this, but I, I've watched this my entire life. You know, I, I grew up in church my whole life, and I've watched this even in the few months I've been pastoring in the ministry. I've seen people, they come to church, you know, you take a month out of their life, and they come to church faithfully, consistently, and it seems like they're just doing great. It seems like the devil's attacking them, but it's not sticking. It seems like they're just treading and they're just going, but you know what, they start missing church, and you, and it just, and you talk to them on the phone, it seems like their life's just falling apart. And, and I think to myself, you think that's a coincidence? It's not a coincidence. You say, well, what, what changed? Well, it's like our bulletin says. You know, what, what does it say? It says, change the way you look at things and the things you look at will change. Did they stop getting attacked when they were faithful to church? Did they stop having the trial? No, they didn't. It's just they're looking at it different. Their perspective is different. He says, when I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Because you know what church does for you? Here's what happens. You get out in the world, and this happens to all of us. You get out in the world, and you start seeing cars. You start seeing houses. You start seeing clothes. You start seeing money. You start seeing people's success. And you start thinking, oh, that's what I want. I need to work a little more. I need to do a little more. I need to get, I need riches. I need what? And, and church is a good reset button. It kind of calibrates you. And it maybe gets your eyes on off the earthly things. And it purchases on spiritual things. And you come to church, and you realize, you know what? I really don't need all those things. He says in verse 25, he said, Whom I have in heaven but thee. And he says, And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. You know what he's saying? He's saying there's nothing on earth I want more than a relationship with God. He says there's no riches. He says there's no house. He says there's no job. He says there's no fame. He says there's nothing. There's no person. There's no relationship. There's no other thing I want more than I want God. But he said, when I took my eyes off of God and I put them on the world, he said, I got envy. 
Look at verse 26. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. And look at verse number 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. He says, it is good for me to draw near to God. This is a challenge tonight. Here's a challenge I want you to have. Don't look at the world. Don't look at the world. Don't look at the wicked and get jealous, get discouraged. Isaac could have looked at Ishmael and said, why is he successful and why am I not? Why does he have 12 sons? They've got castles. They've got nations. He said, the Bible says when Ishmael died, he was gathered unto his people. Isaac had no people to be gathered unto. Isaac had two sons. It took him 20 years to get them. And he could have looked at them, you know, and it's easy. We could look at those churches and say, why are they growing and why are we not? We could look at other people's businesses. Why are they, their business growing? Why, my business isn't growing. My paycheck isn't growing. My savings aren't growing. Just, they can just do whatever. The world gets divorced. They commit adultery. They, you know, play the lottery. They do drugs. They do whatever. You know, and nothing ever happens to them. But it seems like you do something, you get squashed. You see, and you can get envious of them. But don't envy the prosperity of the wicked. Because, but here's how you do it. You get to church... And you let church calibrate, and then you look at the end result. Because it doesn't matter, at the, at the end of everyone's, we're all going to die. You know, either that or get ratchet. And at the end of the whole thing, you could be the most successful, rich, unsaved person, and you're still going to die and go to hell. Period. And you know what we ought to do as Christians? There's nothing wrong with making money, there's nothing wrong with working hard, there's nothing wrong with having nice vehicles, nice houses. Hey, I'm all for it. But let the eternal things be your priority. You know, I'm all for... Abraham was a rich man. Isaac was a rich man. Hey, you know, I'm all for having rich people in our church. Hey, praise the Lord, you know? But, but you know what I'd like to see the rich person do? Just like the broke person? Go out soul winning. Read their Bible. Pray. Because I want us to all be focused on the end of our lives. On the things that have eternal value. On the things that, 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 that are going to last for eternity. I just want to challenge you tonight, and I, I think it's, it's healthy for all of us every once in a while to think about this. Don't envy the prosperity of the wicked. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Father, Lord, thank you for our church. Lord, we love you so much. I pray you'd help everybody here to just... Uh,